Uh, you can be seated. Merry Christmas. I think we can uh, officially say that to one another, right? It's, we're definitely post-Thanksgiving and all of that stuff. So let me uh, go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into the, get into the message, right? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the day. Uh, we thank you for this season uh, where we have an opportunity to, to celebrate uh, Jesus and all that he came to do and be. Uh, I pray that uh, every single person in this room, whatever uh, their circumstance is, uh, that by the end of this message, we would see uh, that Jesus came so that we could receive great joy that really is for all people. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Let me ask you as we kind of get started uh, today, what, what are the emotions of Christmas for you right, right now? Uh, for this year, what are some of the emotions that you're feeling uh, at this point, like Scott kind of whispered, uh, about two weeks out? Uh, I love Christmas time. Cheryl's family likes to uh, tease me that I have a little bit, maybe a lot of Clark uh, W. Griswold in me. I uh, love the lights, the movie, the time with family, and I might want to try to deny that, but we live in 1,500 square feet and we have six Christmas trees, so I, I, don't, I don't feel like I can deny that aspect uh, of Christmas. It also was not always that way. Our, our son, uh, Sam, is 12, and he was kind of grousing about all the setup that, that takes place in the house. I don't know why. He doesn't really do any of it, but he was grousing uh, about some of the setup, and I said, listen, I think you're old enough to kind of hear this story. I just want you to know what's going on with me, uh, that uh, 30 years ago this year, on December 20th, my mom passed away suddenly, uh, and it was you know, right before Christmas. We had her uh, funeral service on Christmas Eve night, and just as we were going through that Christmas 30 years ago, I remember just kind of promising to myself that I was, I, I was going to redeem that time in, in some way and somehow. Uh, and I do it through obnoxious Christmas decorations. Um, there are way worse things I could engage in to, to deal with that trauma, but Christmas decorating is the way that I choose to do it. And uh, he seemed to understand that, and he seems to be having a much better Christmas because of it. Uh, but what, what about you? What are some of the emotions that Christmas brings about for you? I... I I love the whole thing. A lot of people love the whole thing, but I know that's not true for everyone. I understand that as some people approach Christmas, they approach it with feelings of sadness because a loved one has passed away. I understand that some people approach Christmas with a feeling of anxiety because they don't know how they're going to pay for everything. I understand that some people approach it with dread because so-and-so is coming over for dinner and there's a family issue and uh, that, that whole thing. And I would, I would suspect that we have both types of people in this room. Uh, we have Merry Christmas people in this room, and we have Bah Humbug people in this room. And regardless of your circumstances, here's the thing I want us to see today. We want to be a people that understand that Jesus came to bring great joy for all people. Great joy is possible at Christmas, regardless of your circumstances. And that's really what the first Christmas was all about. As a matter of fact, when the angels greeted the shepherds that we were singing about earlier, 2,000 years ago, it was, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And in that first century, at that first Christmas, great joy is what they desperately need. I was going to read to you Luke 2, but instead I decided to bring a guest reader, if you'll take a look at the screen and listen to this text. All right, go ahead and kill the video. I'll go ahead and read it to you. I'm not as cool as Linus, but let me read the beginning of this text. Uh, this is from Luke 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree 
that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Cornelius was the governor of Syria and everyone went with him to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married uh, to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. That's how the story starts. And the truth is, the people that first Christmas, as I'm going to show you over the next several minutes, the people of that first Christmas desperately needed some good news. Because they were, as Luke 2 shows us, they were living under the rule and the reign of a guy named Caesar Augustus. As a matter of fact, if you were a Jewish person living under kind of uh, uh, Israel occupied uh, by Rome, uh, if you were living in that land, every time you'd hear the name Caesar Augustus, you would kind of uh, shake in your boots a little bit. The Imperial March from Star Wars hadn't been invented yet, but it would have played if, if every time you heard that name. And I think if we can just understand a little bit of history about Caesar Augustus, it will help us understand the good news that Jesus came to, to be. They were, uh, in Israel, the Jewish people were under the complete control of Rome at the time that Jesus was born. They were occupying Israel and they were controlled, like the text says, by Caesar Augustus, and it was not the greatest of lives. And the reason it was not the greatest of lives is that Caesar Augustus was a raving narcissist. And here's what I mean by that. A lot of leaders throughout Greek and Roman history believed that they were the son of God uh, and that they were descended from the gods. That was a popular view. Caesar Augustus did not believe he was descended from the gods. Caesar Augustus believed he was God. And because of that belief in himself, he ordered that Rome and all the countries that he controlled, that his birthday be celebrated for a full month leading up to the day of his birth. And he called this celebration of his birthday, he liked to call it Advent. Uh, listen to this decree that he issued. The most divine Caesar we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. He is the beginning of life and vitality. All the cities unanimously adopt the birth of the divine Caesar as the beginning of the year. He has been sent to us as a savior and has become God manifest. His birthday is for the whole world, the beginning of good news. Great guy, right? Caesar believed he was God, so he sanctioned for the people living under his rule and reign, which is about three quarters of the world at the time Jesus was born. He sanctioned the singing of worship songs that would be sung in his honor. He built a temple in his name for people to come and worship him. He issued a decree that the official Roman greeting for his empire would be Caesar is Lord, and the people were to respond, he is Lord indeed. And if someone approached you in uh, earshot of a guard, if someone approached you and says, Caesar is Lord, and you did not respond, he is Lord indeed, the punishment was imprisonment, uh, going to a cross, and a lot of times even death. If you Google his name, he is known uh, for being responsible for a period of Roman history called the Pax Romana. The tagline is achieving peace and prosperity for Rome. And the question becomes, how did Caesar do this? How did he achieve such peace? And his strategy was pretty simple. To achieve peace, 
you exert overwhelming control over your enemies. You defeat them with such violence that Caesar believed if you did that, they would never even consider taking back control from you. So throughout the Roman world, they would go from village to village and city to city and nation and to nation to nation, just destroying everything and everyone in sight, setting those cities on fire and killing the people there. The historian Josephus talks about in some of these cities that Rome conquered, the streets would literally, after Rome was done, the streets would literally flow with blood. The idea being that you fill the whole world with this fear of Rome so that no one would ever, ever even consider challenging his greatness. And it didn't stop there. Once they conquered the nation, they continued to just mistreat them and control them. I've told you about this before, but it bears repeating. One of the things that happened in, in the Roman Empire was they held a contest amongst their people about what is the most cruel way that you could uh, institute a capital punishment offense on somebody. What is the worst way you could do that to someone? And the winning entry was the cross. We often think about the cross as a Jesus thing, but actually Rome would initiate capital offenses for almost anything, murder, stealing, not acknowledging Caesar as God, not paying taxes, insubordination to any Roman. Any Roman, as a Jewish person living in a Rome-occupied territory, any Roman could order you to do anything and you had to obey them. One historian writes about the idea that the crosses in Rome-occupied territories used to just line the streets like our uh, streets are lined with, with, uh, with telephone wires. And the message was clear. Do not mess with Rome. Do not step out of line. Behave yourself. And this is how Rome achieved peace for itself. Instill in people an overwhelming fear so that they never rise up against you. That's how you instill that. How do you instill prosperity? Well, in the United States, as you know, we're coming up on an election year. And we will debate this in the United States every election year we do. Is it better to have higher taxes to fund the federal government or is it better to have lower taxes? And this Roman government came up with a way to achieve both those things. And here's what I mean by that. For the Roman citizens living in Rome, they would keep the taxes low. So if you were a Roman citizen and you lived in a Rome-occupied territory, your taxes were low. For all other people that, were, that lived in these countries, Rome had defeated them and was occupying them, and they were taxed till kingdom come. It's why the Christmas story starts in Luke 2 with the idea that Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the entire Roman world should be counted. Why would you do that? Taxes is why you do that. So he's, everyone's going to, to take place in this census, and Caesar was going to make sure he got his money. And when everyone heard this decree come out, it wasn't just because Mary was pregnant. That was part of it. And they had to travel uh, to Bethlehem, but that, that was only a part of it. It was like, oh my goodness, our taxes are going up again. How can any more be squeezed out of us. And if you were a Jewish person living in a Rome-occupied Israel, you'd pay taxes to your city, taxes to the temple, taxes to your federal government, and taxes to Rome. It was not unusual for a Jewish person living in a Rome-occupied territory to have 75 to 80 percent of their money taken in taxes. 75 to 80 percent. So you can imagine what that was like with that percentage of your salary going to taxes. You can imagine what the economic environment was like. Everybody's poor, except for the Romans. Everybody's poor, everybody's just getting by, everybody's 
struggling. And this was the situation. This was the situation in the world that Jesus was born into. About three quarters of the world had been conquered by Rome. And when it came to Caesar Augustus, you had two camps. You can read both of these camps in history books, by the way. The Romans loved him. He achieved peace and prosperity for Rome. A lot of Romans still would consider him to be one of the greatest leaders in Roman history. All non-Romans, if you weren't Roman, you hated him. Three quarters of the world hated him because under his leadership, you were mistreated, oppressed, and forced to live in fear. And we talk about this time of year being Merry Christmas, but I'm telling you, the first Christmas was not that merry. It, it, just, it just was not that merry. We talk about great joy for all people, but in that world environment that Jesus was born into, that was not the first Christmas at, at all. You talk to most people in the world, the, and, and the first Christmas was not a Christmas of joy. You would not hear about joy. You would hear words like fear. Is Rome going to come and put me in prison? Because I didn't answer, Caesar is Lord. He is Lord indeed. Am I going to go to prison? You would hear worried about how am I going to keep up with this tax burden. You would hear tired, that I am sick and tired of living this way. And you would hear words like that. You wouldn't hear Mary, M-E-R-R-Y. You wouldn't hear joy. You wouldn't hear peace. And you wouldn't hear hope. And I bet some of us in this room feel that way. We can't relate to having an evil empire control our lives, politics aside, right? You might feel differently, but you just got to read a little bit of history about Rome and you'll realize how different it is. But we can relate to those feelings. That you would come into this place today and you would say, man, Christmas joy, hope, peace, that's not what's on my mind, Steve. Say, what's on my mind today is fear. Because I don't know what's going to happen in the new year with my job or my health or my marriage. Joy is not the first word you say. Tired is the first word that comes to my mind. Tired of living this way. Tired of feeling this way. Just plain tired. Joy is not the first word you would say. Worried is the first word that comes to my mind. I've seen my kids list and I've seen my bank account, right? Worried about that. Worried about the economy. Worried about fill in the blank. And it's like we've said a a bunch of times that we want to express Merry Christmas, but that's just not the way some people feel this time of year. And I think it's a very human feeling. After all, it is the theme of almost every Christmas movie that's ever been made. The theme of something or someone is trying to ruin Christmas. It's George Bailey having lost thousands of dollars and he's looking uh, at prison if he can't find it. It's Charlie Brown trying to figure out the meaning of Christmas and one kind of fail after another. It's the Grinch who, after a troubled childhood, can't find joy. It's Rudolph who's constantly made fun of because of his shiny nose. What in your life is trying to steal your merry Christmas? For me, just the way I'm wired, it's always worry for me. I'm I'm always worried about something. And this time of year where Scott is up saying two weeks ago and I'm saying two weeks ago, it's like, oh my goodness, how are we going to get everything done? Time's running out. Worry. Our story goes on though. Merry Christmas, by the way. How's that for an introduction? I wasn't worried till I came to church, Steve, right? Our story goes on though. That these people that were so living in fear and so worried and so uncertain, and all of that stuff. Our story goes on to say that Jesus gave them this gift. The angels gave them this gift. Let me reread, uh, let me read to you Luke 2, verses 8 through 12. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, He is the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. In this day and age when people were so afraid and so uncertain and so scared, he says, I come to you and I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. I love this because it was a world gripped with fear, gripped with worry. And he says, I've got great news for all of you, all people, regardless of your circumstances. And what is that word? Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. And then don't forget the last couple uh, uh, words of that sentence. A savior has been born to you. He, he, he is Christ, the Lord. We hear that and we automatically have Linus stuck in our heads. He is Christ the Lord But uh, when we read that passage. But to everyone living under the Roman Empire's rule and reign, there would have been an audible gasp at these words. Because everyone had been trained to understand, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. He is Lord indeed. And on this day, 2,000 years ago, The good news of great joy for all people was this message that I came to bring you today. Caesar's not Lord. Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is. And sometimes we need to hear that, don't we? It's great news. The good news that I came to bring you today is politics is not Lord. Praise be to God for his indescribable gift, right? Politics is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. The disease you're facing is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. The person mistreating you is not Lord. Caesar is not Lord. It is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Caesar, whatever Caesar you're facing, whoever's mistreating you, whoever's bugging you, whoever's on your last nerve, they are not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And it's good news of great joy for all people. And he even gets more specific. He says to the shepherds that we've added to our manger scene, he says, shepherds, it's good news specifically for you. Because in every culture, there's people that are used to getting good news and there's people that never get good news. And I love that the angel comes to the shepherds because they were the down and outs of their culture. They were on the who's not list. They never got good news. They not only had to endure Caesar Augustus, they were mistreated by their own countrymen. It was not in a a, a highly respected occupation of the day. And I believe the angel comes to these guys because this began a pattern of Jesus's life to go to those that were down and out, those that were not respected, those that were forgotten and say, hey, 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 Caesar's not Lord for you too. Jesus is Lord for you. Social stigma is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Being a down and outer, being a forgotten, being the one that the country just kind of disregards, that is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And Jesus lives out this pattern a hundred times in the scriptures. A woman is caught in the act of adultery. She's going to be killed. Instead, she's rescued by Jesus. A tax collector, the most hated profession of the day. You can imagine why. They were Jewish men collecting taxes for Rome. He has no one to turn to, no one to eat lunch with. Jesus becomes his friend. 
A woman that can't collect water during the day because all the other women have shunned her comes, uh, comes later on in the afternoon by herself and Jesus interacts with her and he gives her living water. This was Jesus' message all throughout his ministry. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter. If you want some good news of great joy, it is for all people. That today, today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. And here's what some of you would say. Well, I'm not sure how this is exactly supposed to make me feel. I love this message that Jesus is Lord, but it seems like Jesus has given the Caesars of this, li- of this world enough power and enough authority, authority that they can still make our lives miserable. Don't we feel that way to a certain extent? Like, it's great, Jesus is Lord, fantastic, but I still have cancer. Or it's wonderful, Jesus is Lord, but my marriage is still in trouble. It's cool, Jesus is Lord, but I still don't have a job, and I'm not sure how this is supposed to make me feel. And let me tell you how it made them feel in the first century, living under Caesar Augustus, the most maniacal, narcissistic leader perhaps in human history. The way it made them feel in the first century, knowing that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, is it gave them joy, hope, and peace. And let me tell you why. Because Jesus is Lord and Caesar's not, it reminded them that there are things Jesus promises to do. And there are things that Jesus does do that even the Caesars of this world do not have the power to take away. That was the first hope they had. Like, so Jesus does things for his people. Jesus gives things to his people. And it doesn't matter how powerful Caesar thinks he is. It doesn't matter how much authority Caesar thinks he has. Those things are from Jesus. And Jesus trumps Caesar. And those things cannot be taken away. So grace. I don't care how powerful Caesar is. Grace is from Jesus and it is for you. Salvation, hope, joy, peace, all of this internal stuff. Caesar does not have the power and Caesar does not have the authority to take that stuff away. The only way that can happen is if we make the wrong things Lord and we give them too much power and too much authority. And I think we do that sometimes. We make our health Lord or our families Lord or our financial security Lord. And when those things are are taken away, we can start to lose our joy, hope, and peace. But those are things that God can give you. And because Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not, even Caesar, with all his power, all his authority, all of that stuff, even Caesar cannot take those things away. There's this story of the early church. Then uh, the Apostle Paul talks about how they used to be led in processions to their death. And this was... uh, um, there, there'd be almost these parades that in these Roman-occupied territories, people would be standing on the side of the road kind of celebrating this, and Christians would all be together, uh, and they would be walking in these processions toward their death. And this, uh, this thing started within the Christian community that history records later. And it's like as they're walking together towards the cross and toward their crucifixions, they would just start whispering to one another, Jesus is Lord. And somebody would turn back to them and say, he is Lord indeed. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord indeed. And it was meant to remind them in that moment that Caesar 
has a certain amount of authority on loan right now. Caesar can take away their bodies. Caesar can imprison them. Caesar can separate them from their families. But there are some things that not even Caesar can do. And I wonder if we need to bring this tradition back within our church community a little bit. As we're walking up to the doctor's office to get the results. Hey, hey, hey. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord indeed. As we're going to the job interview, the job we desperately need. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord indeed. As we lay up at night scared about whatever the subject is, just kind of whisper to ourselves, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord indeed. The other reason this gave them so much hope was it reminded them that because Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not, what that meant was that Caesar was someday going to be accountable to God and to Jesus for what he did. And that gave them a lot of hope as they were living through Caesar Augustus and peace for Romans, but annihilation, misery, hardship for everyone else. They, they get just like, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And someday Caesar would be accountable to God for what he did while he was Caesar. And I believe that happened when he died, that, that someday he would be held a- accountable. They hoped it would be now, but we know that even then it, it would happen someday. And, and the other kind of aspect of this is that he would be accountable, but they also believed that someday, they hoped again it would be today, but someday Jesus would rise up when he'd had enough and he would defeat Caesar. Like I said, they, they hoped it would be today, but they knew regardless, if it wasn't today, he'd be held accountable. He would be defeated someday. And I find it interesting. I'm not saying that this is a part of the accountability, but we name our kids after the early church leaders, Peter, Paul, Andrew, Mary, Martha. And we name our pizza establishments after Caesar. <laughs> Right? The greatest emperor in Roman history, we name our pizza after him. We name our dogs after Nero. Come here, Nero. Come on, come on. Right. That's what we do. His legacy did not last. He was held accountable. He was seen for what he is. And Jesus always wins at the end of the day. So Caesar had a certain amount of authority and a certain amount of power from God. He totally misused it. He he totally ran the wrong way with it. And someday he was held accountable. And so they believed that someday Jesus would have enough with Caesar Augustus and and the, 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 the line of the Caesars, that someday Jesus would have enough and Caesar would be defeated. And we have the same hope because we have read the book of Revelation. And we know that right now the Caesars of life have a certain amount of power and a certain amount of control. They will be accountable to God for what they did. You don't need to worry about that. Like, well, I've got to hold them accountable. No, you don't. God will hold them accountable. You're not that good at it. No offense. But we believe someday... I don't know how this is going to play out, but someday God is going to turn to Jesus 
And I believe it's very possible, the Bible doesn't say this, this is my opinion, but someday God will turn to Jesus and he will say, enough. Enough disease, enough difficulty, enough Caesar, enough condemnation, enough. And Jesus will return to this earth and he will not return as a humble baby. He will return with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth and all death and mourning and crying and pain will end on that day. The Caesars of this world that have stolen our joy will be defeated forever and we will go to a place to live with God forever where Caesar no longer has a say. He no longer has a rule and reign. Death will be defeated. And that is the story of that first Christmas. Regardless of how you're feeling in this room about Christmas, if you're mourning, if you're in pain, if, you, if it's a difficult season, came to the shepherds. The angels came to the shepherds and said, hey, today I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He, he is Christ the Lord. He is Christ the Lord. Your circumstances are not Lord. Your disease is not Lord. Your relationships are not Lord. Your hardship is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And that is good news of great joy for all people. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for the day. And I just pray that whatever we're looking at and whatever we're facing today, I would guess that there are a lot of Merry Christmas people in this room I have a lot to look forward. I, I pray that we would not place our hope and our trust in, in things like family or, or gifts or things, that we would remember that today in the town of David, a Savior's been born. He is Christ our Lord. And for the other people in this room, that it just does not feel very merry to them. There's a hardship ahead of them, a difficulty. I want to pray that right now we would receive good news of great joy that was intended for all the people. That a savior has been born to us. And he is Christ the Lord. May we remember that death has been defeated. May we remember that Caesar is already losing his grip in this world. And that someday your son Jesus will finish the job. But right now we can even see joy, hope, and peace come in very difficult circumstances. So we can see him losing his grip on this world. May we be filled with joy, hope, and peace regardless of our circumstances today. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And this is when we talk about that the kingdom has come, but it is not fully come. This is the moment that we're talking about, that Jesus went to a cross and he died for our sins so that we could receive joy, hope, and peace in this world. And we, we are in an age of grace right now, where right now our mission is to invite people to Jesus, invite them to that joy, hope, and peace, and someday Jesus will return and he will finish the job. But right now we're in the, the kingdom has come, but it has not yet fully come. And, and so right now we're 
we're, we're in this in-between time. But right now we know that joy, hope, and peace is available to us because of Jesus' work on the cross. And so we want to remember that right now. We want to celebrate it. We're going to pass the uh, communion out, and you'll find two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some bread representing Jesus' body. The other has some juice representing his blood. And it's just meant grace has come. Joy has come. Peace has come. And whatever your circumstances are, my prayer is that as we receive communion today as a church family, that we would receive those things. We would receive grace and joy and peace because that's what Jesus came to bring. He is Christ the Lord. So you can receive those. I'll come back up in just a minute and we'll take them together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. Will you stand? As we get ready to be dismissed here with one final song, I want us to practice a tradition going back 2,000 years. Whatever you're facing this week, doctor's appointment, job interview, difficulty, trial, whatever you're facing this week ahead, I want us to remember Caesar is not Lord. Christ is Lord. He is Lord indeed. So I would like to say Christ is Lord, and I would like you to repeat, he is Lord indeed. Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord. May we remember it as we go throughout this season. May we remember it when we face trial and difficulty that whatever this is, Caesar's not Lord. Christ is Lord. And that is good news of great joy for all people. We're going to close with one last song. If you have a prayer request or prayer need or you have questions about faith, a couple of our elders will be in the overflow after church, and they'd love to talk to you about those things. God bless you in your week ahead.